how privacy concerns is impacting online marketing and how to prepare for the future in the metaverse. Featuring Alzira Merzad on Kelly Bagla's Go Legal Yourself podcast. Welcome to the Go Legal Yourself podcast. This show is about knowing the legal life cycle of your business. Welcome to the Go Legal Yourself podcast. I'm your host and your legal friend, Attorney Kelly Bagler, the queen of business law. And today we have a very special guest, extremely excited about interviewing um, Ali Reza. Ali Reza, he is the CEO of Golden Seller, an online marketing firm. And the title of today's episode is Psychology of Digital Advertising. Just the, the name itself is so intriguing, and especially for anyone that's in business, they need to listen to Ali Reza. Welcome to the show. Uh, hi, Kelly. Thanks for having me on. Very much uh, so looking forward to having this conversation. And I hope it uh, comes helpful to some of the entrepreneurs who might be listening because we're really trying to address an ongoing issue that we have right now that we feel is going to impact the advertising space for at least the next five to 10 years. It's, uh, it's a pleasure being on your podcast. Thank you. Before we get right into it, do you have an attorney joke to share with us? So I've worked with uh, quite a few uh, <laughs> personal injury attorneys. I'd say my favorite joke would be, what, well, what's the best way of getting a group of personal injury attorneys to smile for a picture? Just say fees. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Fees. <laughs> yeah, they, they all just have to promote no win, no fee. Like the moment you say fee, they're all going to start smiling at some point. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I naturally did it too. <laughs> As an attorney, I love it. I'm going to try that on, on other attorney friends. That That's pretty funny. Ali Reza, we are all in the business of serving, all of us. And I mean, anyone that is in business, you're there to serve someone. You have customers that, that someone is your customer. With such a saturated world right now where everyone is getting pitched to, promoted to, advertised to, all these ads have been thrown at them. How? How does one stand out as a business to a consumer? And how does one build that relationship with the consumer? But in particular, I want to get into the psychology, right? Psychology of how consumers see different products and ads and what really makes them click, press that purchase button. Absolutely. Uh, and, and, a, and a great, great question. Um, I think there were several there. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, no, I know. Um, it, it, I'm, I'm categorizing them in my, in my mind. Uh, so to, to answer the first question, and I think the common denominator of all those, uh, the answers to those questions is to focus on the consumer. What we have seen historically in a lot of advertising campaigns is the focus often is on the business. The business is trying to say what it is that they do best. Uh, and you often hear these terms, you know, we're the best in the industry, we're the perfect uh, solution, et cetera, et cetera. What has happened over the years, so many customers have been hearing these messages that they have tuned out all the businesses that are essentially saying the same thing. The issue is businesses are just, in a sense, just repeating one another, copy one another context and just trying to say, uh, we do it better. Then this is what's called a business-centric approach, where the business is trying to force the message through. In order to be able to connect with a consumer, you need to focus on the consumer. So you need to listen to them. You need to understand their pain points. And then your conversation with them starts to form. And this is a common thing across all advertising platforms. 
whether it's digital or, or any other type, the, the main, as long as you're putting your customer at the center, you have a very good chance of winning. The question becomes, how do we understand the consumer? So uh, again, there are two methods of this. And uh, one is you start to do doing a lot of research. You understand their pain points. You, you talk to a potential target market. You understand what it is they need. And then you focus uh, your business around those needs or coming up with a solution. Secondary still problem. All businesses are doing that right now as well. So that has also become a solution that a lot of businesses have been taking. So again, the customers are closing and shutting their minds to these types of messages too. So although you're one step ahead of a lot of businesses, you're two steps behind other businesses who have taken down this path prior to you. When you focus on the psychology of a customer, at its core, our customers, whether we like it or not, are the most selfish people a business would come across. So you need to understand it's all about them. They want everything for themselves, nothing about you. When you focus on the way they're looking at your business, they're trying to give you some kind of a space in their minds of what it is that you do. Not about your brand, but what it is that you do. This is also called a positioning of the business. And the positioning is not about finding your uh, business place in the market, but finding a space in the mind of your consumer. It's not so much about what your product is, but it's about how your product is actually perceived in the mind of a user. This comes at a core uh, of what we focus on today in digital advertising, because uh, it's so quick and so easy to take out a message and show it to, uh, you know, any potential customer. But then the issue is, would they really think about it or pay attention to it? Uh, You're kind of getting into an attention marketing uh, sort of subcategory of digital advertising. So that's, that's a question every entrepreneur has to ask themselves at this point. Are, are you creating that space in the mind of your consumer so they would actually think about you? So let's have a, a conversation on a couple of things that you touched upon. And as both a entrepreneur and businesswoman, that is obviously in the in people's service, right? I mean, the, I mean, the business of service. And also I'm a consumer. I'm a very good consumer. However, you're absolutely right. What can you do for me? Right? <laughs> what can you do for me? And the, the psychology behind it, Alivesa, I, I find that extremely fascinating because it's all subconscious. We don't, as consumers, go out and say, well, what can you do for me? We have one goal in mind. Okay, today I'm going to go out and I'm going to find a pair of green heels, right? It's going to be the right green, though, not all green heels, just a pair of green heels. That's my focus today. So that's what I'm focused on. But somehow, and you can ask my husband this, somehow I end up coming home with shopping bags of dresses and other things too, because that product spoke to me, that that product appealed to me. But it's all psychology though. So how does a business get in front of the consumer on a subconscious level where it it will stick with the consumer thinking that brand was fantastic for me last time. That's the same brand I'm going to stick to. Absolutely. Great, great, great question. Um, (laughs) Also guilty of of the the, the same shopping spring issue. Although (laughs) I would think you'd come back home with a pair of red heels, not green heels. I know. (laughs) True. Very, very true. (laughs) So it must it must have really gotten your attention if you came back home with a pair of green heels. Um, no, but 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 a, but, a, but a great great question. So when you look at the way decisions are made, every uh, basically customer or business come across really has essentially a thought process or a thought mechanism in place, and different products are placed somehow 
to address those thought processes. And to us, like one is more important than the other. For example, you may have a customer where when they're trying to make a decision to purchase a product and say, you know what, I want to buy something that would quickly communicate this message that, you know, I care about luxury, mm-hmm. right? Like, let's say you're trying to buy a car. Let me let me kind of uh, use that as, a, as an example. Let's say you're trying to buy a car. Uh, if you're thinking of luxury and you want to show somebody else, and again, you're trying to fulfill something in your mind, a need that you have psychologically about what it is that you're buying, you probably would be drawn to the brand of Mercedes. Uh, How did you know? Um, so, so <laughs> it's, it's because Mercedes positioned their brand as a luxury brand. Yes. The fu- it's funny you say that and you choose Mercedes, uh, Alireza, because somebody asked me, well, where do you find an attorney like that? And my very first thing out of my mouth was, well, in a, in a Mercedes. <laughs> but yes, please. Yeah, no, no, no. It's, it's, it's as simple as that. If you're thinking of, for example, a more of a performance, you might be thinking Ferrari, for example, you might be thinking Porsche. Uh, or if you're thinking of durability, you might easily think of, you know, Toyota. And then Toyota doesn't want to just be a durable if they're trying to do a luxury durable, they come up with Lexus, right? Um, the So they, these products and these brands, as they emerge, they're trying to address specific consumer needs and they find a place in their minds. So when you think of a, a potential car or, you know, any type of product for that matter, you quickly go to the space in their mind, in your mind, to figure out what brand is there. And then you quickly are drawn to that. So the question is, and this is what, what uh, businesses and entrepreneurs need to do is what's called mind mapping is to basically understand what's really happening in the mind of a buyer. And then when you're trying to be successful in entering into the market as a startup, you want to find an empty space in their mind. And then you position your brand there. So imagine, and, and, and believe it or not, the loyalty of customers really are to these positions in their minds, not to the brand itself. Let's talk about Rolex. Right. Anybody, you know, here's that name. They're thinking of a watch probably more than forty, fifty thousand dollars Right. It's the status of that watch. That's really what you're loyal to. Because if Rolex tomorrow manufactures a watch and try to sell it for twenty five dollars, you're not going to buy it because it's everything that position in your mind is not about. It's um, a beautiful watch, by the way. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, it's, 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 it's beautiful. But yep. imagine if Seiko created a watch that looked just like a Rolex. Seiko doesn't have the type of luxury positioning. You're not going to buy, for example, that watch just because it looks like a, a different brand. And, and, you know, you can kind of start going down to even questioning, uh, do watches really matter as a product that give us and tell us what the time is? The simple answer is no. Nobody's really buying a watch because they want to know what time it is. They're really going and looking at the empty spots in their minds uh, to say, what, what is it about this product that makes me feel good? Or what kind of a need am I getting? Uh, what kind of a need am I getting satisfied because of this product? Um, this is really the key uh, in, in attention marketing and, and being successful in digital advertising, because these messages get in front of people so quickly using ads and the mind has just taught itself to ignore and not use too much bandwidth of something it feels it already knows about. Very interesting. Very interesting. Now, you're, you're absolutely right. Who wears a watch? I still, I'm, I'm guilty of it. I still wear a watch. But do I look at my watch? Because I've, I've got my cell phone. I have my cell phone for the time. And, but I, I still wear it though. It, it's, you know, subconscious in my head. That's one of the things I wear as soon as I leave the house. But how... 
with, with so much busyness going on and advertising is everywhere. It's everywhere now, Ali Reza. Before it used to be on, okay, on TV, in magazines. But now if you visit a site on your computer and the next thing you know, you go back and visit something else, that prior event that you saw, the green shoes that you saw online, they pop up and they say, hey, Kelly, we're here. Do you want to buy us? So it's, it's in your face all the time. So how, what, besides, like you said, the, the consumer is selfish, right? What, what is that um, triggering event in the consumer's mind that they're going to say, okay, I'm going to press that purchase button? Right. Uh, and, another great question. So uh, the reason you see a lot of these ads following you yes, um, is, and I think the word follow is the best because you literally feel, hey, I went here, I went here, that the ad's kind of following me. I'm seeing the same thing that I've seen over and over again is because of uh, a concept in marketing, again, going back to the trigger points of what type of personality you're dealing with, what is it in their minds that they feel that spot is empty. There's, there's a concept in digital advertising called remarketing. So essentially you are selling the same product, but under different perceptions of that product for a person, under a person's mind. Let me use a car example and essentially how, for example, in a conventional sense, the remarketing was being used in sales tactics. Imagine if you work at a Porsche dealer and then you see a guy in early 30s walking in and he he's dressed very nicely. You know, you can say this person probably cares about the brand. So if you're trying to sell a car to that person, um, you have to focus on who they are. So they're probably caring a lot about the looks. So you are going to introduce that Porsche to that person as a car that's going to make them look good, right? So again, it's the same type of car. You pick the same two-door car and you introduce them to them as a car that's going to make them look good. Imagine if the same guy walked in, but now they're walking in holding the hand of their six-year-old son, right? So there's a different dimension into what they're probably caring for. Yes, they still care for the fact that that car needs to make them look good, but now there is a son in that picture. So you do want to add the, the, the concept of being protective of a family concept. So you start to talk about safety. So the first thing that you're trying to present that car as is a safe car that's going to make you look good, right? And let's say I go back to the same guy, early 30s, no son in the picture. The guy's like in their, you know, shorts and flip-flops, they walk into the dealer, right? This is clearly a person who doesn't care about the looks of a car because if they did, they would have cared about their own looks, so this probably is a person who's focused on the performance or the functionality. So when you look at their clothes, for example, they're focusing on the functionality of their clothes. So you start to talk about, you know, how many horsepower the car has, how fast it goes, the zero to 60, all, all those metrics is what's going to talk to that person. So it's the same product, right? But it has different perceptions in the minds of those buyers. So when you see these shoes kind of following you from website to website, the, the seller or the people who are setting up the advertising don't exactly know why you didn't buy it in the first place. So they're looking for that empty space in your mind. Go, okay, well, the first time you saw this, we told you it's on a discounted rate. You didn't react. Okay, I'm going to focus on the quality of the product next to see if your mind reacts to that message. If not, on the next website you go, I'm going to focus on, for example, how good it's going to make you look, right? It's looking for how your brain is functioning relating to a specific type of product. That's why you see a lot of these products sort of following you through uh, with different concepts, with different messages. They're, 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 again, they're looking for a way to connect with your mind. I don't think anyone knows this information. This is absolutely brilliant information, what you just shared. <laughs> the, 
It, it truly is. You you clearly, clearly are an incredible in, in your field right, of, of marketing. You clearly understand marketing inside and out. It, just by that example, now let me flip it to you. If that was all visual, right? So a, a person walks into a dealership, you know what they look like, you, you can basically judgment in, instantly. How do you find your, your consumer online? Because that's where your expertise is. Exactly. So I have to give two answers to that question. One answer kind of dates and addresses what we've had in the industry for the past four or five years. And a different version of it, mostly because we're really at a historic time when consumer privacy has become a big concern for people at at different stages for businesses, for governments. It it has become a hot topic. So I'll give a second version of that answer uh, that I hope would help uh, entrepreneurs address their issues for the next five years or so. So historically, or uh, when we're trying to find the right customer for a business, we first have to understand the business. Uh, Who's your target audience? And then we would rely on a lot of data sources, uh, Facebook, Google, to replicate the type of the customer you define to be the ideal for your business. And then there are a lot of metrics to get to them. Um, for example, if like, let's say you're trying to sell to other people who are very uh, mindful of the brands they're wearing or the brands they're buying, then we tend to target people who have that habit of purchase. Or say um, you have a product that's just early into the market. You don't know how it is going to react. You have multiple uh, sort of personalities as to how you interact with products. Some people are early adopters. They quickly want to jump on board. They quickly want to try the product out. That's that's their personality. You have a secondary type of uh, customer, for example, that says, you know what? I'm going to wait for some people to buy the product and I'll see how it is. And then I'll go buy it if if they said it's good. And then you have a third type of personality that says, yeah, you know, I don't really care. I'm, I'm, oh, I'm happy with this old version of whatever it is that I have. Like I'm not, they're called leggers. So they're in, in, uh, the, in terms of their personality, they fall in a spectrum of how they behave toward like new products, old products, competitive products. So we create that audience using the data. When the message that you have and the solution you have designed for them is delivered to the right people who have that problem, they'll interact. So a lot of this is done through um, data, uh, basically pool creation, what we call we create a data pool of people uh, that have those types of personalities. After that, we define simple conversion metrics uh, to say, hey, you know, uh, of the pool of the people that we defined, um, let's see who's converting. Uh, who's actually buying, who's interacting. And then we create a secondary set of data, what's called an audience lookalike. They said, okay, you know what? We actually pick the best of the best. Let's grow and replicate this. Because a lot of the times the, these platforms have a lot of data on you, but it's not something that they are allowed or they're willing to share with an advertiser. So, but in the back end, without really any uh, preferences, the matching does happen. So you actually find more people who are even more likely to convert. So first round, uh, you're interacting with people who are likely to engage. Second round, you're interacting with people who are likely to convert. Using this strategy, you can significantly reduce your marketing costs because you're not kind of having a sort of a gunshot approach, hoping that some people would actually like this because every time you reach out to an audience that's costing you some advertising dollars you're paying out to, you know, one of the companies. Now, this is this is how it's been done historically and, and conventionally. What we're seeing right now is a lot of concerns, like I mentioned, for consumer privacy. People, they're realizing when you're on a platform that the platform is not charging you to be on. 
and you continue to be there, technically you're the product of that platform. Mm -hmm. So the, the company doesn't really have a product. The product is the data that you feed to that system. And they're realizing, you know, a, a lot of the companies, um, they're, they're really sort of exploiting the amount of data people are sharing. And somehow uh, the practice of a lot of business are being questioned. Uh, I, I question them too. Uh, I have long been an opponent of the, the a lot of practices that a lot of companies have had, uh, Facebook being, uh, you know, one of them, because uh, I see this on the back end of it, how easy it was for a marketing firm to target specific individuals. And it almost becomes something like a game that you kind of question. I don't really think these types of power uh, should be kind of handed off to everybody that you don't know what their intentions are. And this is exactly what have happened. We've seen how people basically have been kind of trapped in these cycles of data targeting. And it's, I think it's fantastic that uh, consumers are becoming aware of what it really means to be on these platforms, what the data sharing is and, you know, what these practices are. Now, the part that I love is companies are trying to address these issues. As much as governments are trying to get involved, you know, push through a lot of legislations that would limit the amount of data that is getting shared back and forth. I'm, I'm not a huge fan of government in intervention into, you know, uh, businesses' worlds. I think businesses need to uh, correct one another. Mm -hmm. um, and this is exactly what we're seeing. So uh, one of the first companies that took this step was Apple. In their iOS 14 version that, that was released, I don't know if you, you, you own an iPhone or not. It asks right at the beginning when you're setting up a new phone that you purchased, if you want your information to be shared with third-party apps that you download or the places you visit and, and, and et cetera, et cetera. 94% of people said no. So that, that tells me the awareness is there. They're, they're, basically, people were looking for a solution to limit the data sharing that they had. So they simply came back and they said no. The, the second company that's really trying to limit the, this, this data sharing is Google. Uh, so Google owns, you know, Chrome. Uh, Chrome is a platform owned by Google. This is for browsing. Overall, they own about 67% of uh, browsing space on the internet, which is a big, big chunk of it. Huge. Yeah. Would you consider that a monopoly? Uh, considering how others, uh, for the remainder of the market, uh, so many other browsers there are, yes, they are a monopoly in a sense. Uh, when you own that much space, you technically are dominating the game. There's, there's nobody that can potentially compete against you. Right. Uh, given Chrome is a great product, it's, it's so easy to use. It, it protects you from a lot of spam that other, uh, you know, platforms were protecting in the past. It updates the things that you may fail as a consumer to update on your own. So they, they've really understood the pain point that people have had with different browsers like Internet Explorer back in the day where people would easily download a lot of these links and computers would get hacked. Uh, Chrome is very proactive uh, in the sense of protecting consumer. And I think that's why people are loving it. Uh, not McDonald's. I'm talking about Chrome. Um, right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> but then in, in, the, in the next phase, again, for them to also take a role in, in the space of uh, protecting consumer privacy, a few months ago, they blocked third-party cookies, which was actively being used by advertisers to understand the needs of the consumer. Uh, Facebook was one of the biggest users of, of these cookies. For example, like let's say if somebody visits your website, the chances are you know they're looking for some kind of a business-related legal issue that they have. You know, right, that's baglalaw.com, by the way. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. Vis visit the website, people. We won't, won't target. Visit the website. Just, just, just go there. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just, just, just do it. That's a Nike brand. Just do it. <laughs> just do it. <laughs> 
<laughs> so, yeah, that's it. And, and you're going to be loving it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just do it and you're going to be loving it. Actually, it's, it's, it's funny that we said this. It's like if two branding people are dating, that's how they're going to basically have a pickup line. It's like, hey, you and I, uh, you know, I, I'm doing it and you're loving it. <laughs> I love it. Love yeah. it. So true. Yeah. So, um, you know, the, the, what, what, when the person, the, the, the people who visit your website, they're oftentimes cookies that are left on their computers. And, and, you know, when they go back on a different platform, so let's say they go back on their Facebook account, uh, Instagram account, and, you know, all, all these other platforms, there, there's a way, uh, well, there used to be a way for Facebook to detect that, oh, this person is probably in need of something business legal related. So it quickly would turn the ads that were delivered to you to other advertisers who are basically your competitor. And, and that way it's like, hey, you know, you were looking for, for example, forming your corporation. Oh, here are, you know, some, some uh, competitors you might be interested to, uh, to entertain. And the same thing would happen to you. That's yeah, amazing. It's, yeah it's, it's, see, like it's understanding your need and it's trying to give you a solution. Now, Chrome went ahead and blocked this. Chrome blocked this. So the third-party cookies are fully blocked when someone is browsing and going to websites through the Chrome browser. So that led to a huge loss of data source for Facebook. We, we are, uh, just, just for disclosure, my company, Golden Seller, we are a, a business partner of Meta, or we used to call it uh, Facebook. And basically what we do, we try to get firsthand information from them to optimize the ads uh, for our own clients. And so we get a lot of this information from them firsthand. And based on their own calculation, there's a very reasonable research and survey to indicate the cost of advertising on Facebook at, in this year in 2022 would go up by 150%. And, and the, the reason they're estimating this, aside from the fact that they lost the data sources from Apple, uh, they also lost uh, the third-party cookies from uh, from Chrome. Uh, now, the second step that Chrome is taking is to block first-party cookies. So that's when a business can follow its own customers. So going back to the remarketing concept you and I talked about, the business will be able to target, will used to be able to target uh, the people who visited their own website. Now Chrome is going to block that. Right now as a as a uh, as an option. So as a, as a consumer, as a user, you can simply go and, for example, turn that into a, an active setting. But right now it's an optional setting. So uh, the, the thought is sometime this year, it could be, I don't know, two days from now, it could be two months from now. Uh, nobody really knows that they're going to basically block the, third, uh, the first party cookies the same way they block the third party cookies. That is going to lead to basically a complete loss of meaningful information uh, from different platforms, consumers to uh, other platforms where they can actively advertise. The question becomes now that we don't have those sources of data, we don't know what it is that they actually need. How do we address this issue? What is the solution for the next couple of years uh, for, for the businesses and entrepreneurs? Well, uh, there, there are two things that are sort of in, in the horizon and emerging. One is you probably have heard of is metaverse. I was going uh, to say, I was going to say, Ali Reza, please share with all of us what is that. <laughs> so uh, let me let me for for the for the most part, let me just do a quick summary for 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 an entrepreneur to say it's in development. A, a lot of the talks you may hear, they're sort of speculations of how this is going to be, how this is going to work out. We know it will happen. But as to how it's going to be, you really need to, for now, monitor the news. 
to see how it is. Because uh, what's going to happen is every company, Facebook is going to have its own metaverse. Microsoft is going to have its own metaverse. And then there's going to be a way where these companies have to try to figure these out. It's like, like let's say you attend, go to the digital space, sort of in the metaverse, uh, you know, owned by Facebook. And let's say you own certain things, like the NFTs, for example, you may have heard of, like you own certain things, you've bought them. Now, like, let's say now you want to go see the people who are interacting with whatever Microsoft has developed for Metaverse. How do you carry your stuff from one place to the other so they would have the same value? So there's a lot of stuff that needs to be determined. That's, That's what I'm trying to communicate, that this is really, really at the early stages of development. Facebook just is in the process of hiring 10,000 people in the U.S., 10,000 people in Europe, so they, they can they can get to this. To just talk about what metaverse is and why I think there, there are a ton of reasons you know you might find on the internet, but I do know that Facebook more than anything has had this issue of data collection. Mm-hmm. In order for them to be able to effective advertise, they need sources of data. Otherwise, the advertising platform just doesn't mean anything. And if you look at the way they announced metaverse. Uh, and, you know, we, we get these all these newsletters from them as, as their partners. Like, oh, you know, this is happening. That's happening. We're blocking this. We're blocking that. We no longer have this data source. And all of a sudden there is an announcement for, for Metaverse. It's essentially allowing Facebook or Meta to collect its own data without a dependency on other platforms such as Google, such as Facebook, such as uh, Microsoft, Apple, et cetera, et cetera. So it's giving uh, people its own platform where people would interact with more often than not. Also, the uh, Facebook itself is estimated to lose about 45% of its younger audience within the next two years. So they're, they're really looking more of a future. They're having a future look at this issue. Uh, how do we survive this for the next 10 years or so? And the answer is something that uh, at this point they've realized a lot, of, uh, a lot of people, especially younger people, are more familiar with. I don't know of a kid who hasn't played or heard of Fortnite, right? They're, 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 they're playing the game. And so they're, they're in this virtual space. Even the hangout time, they're not getting together. They're getting into a virtual space, and then they talk in the virtual space, right? So they're timing this perfectly. And that's the consumer they're targeting. They're, they're looking at the next round of buyers and consumers. They're not focusing on someone today who's 40 plus. They're, 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 that's not the target market. The target market is someone who today is almost 13 plus. That within the next five to six years, once these platforms are more developed, they would be the first-hand consumers. And it's very important to be first mover, especially in the tech space. And if you look at the way they announced it, everything was so rushed. The logo that they used for Meta, was owned by a different company. Uh, the other company came out and soon said, hey, this is our logo. Right, right. Uh, the name Meta was also owned by another company. They also came out swinging and said, hey, this is our name. Why are you you know, naming yourself after us? This, this is our name. So you got to kind of start to wonder why is it that, because I'm pretty sure, you know, Facebook has a legal team in there that can check <laughs> on, hey, can you kind of do a double check if somebody has named this before we publicly announce this? Right. Um, so that means they didn't even give themselves that much time to go. Well, they don't care process. or they don't care well, yeah. because they're so big. They're so big and they'd rather step on, you know, the small business owners shoes. That's, that's, that's the, that's the unfortunate. I'm trying to have a positive look at what <laughs> <laughs> I know you are. <laughs> We'll, we'll stay positive. I'm, I'm with you right there. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I'm following my name. And it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, you know. But um, the I think they, they, they just were trying to say we're the first in the market. And the, the thing with the digital space is once you become uh, sort of dominant, 
you tend to own a huge portion of the online market share. It's not like the offline market share where a business might have, you know, 40% of the market, not a business might have 20. And then the remainder is, you know, shared between a whole bunch of other brands. No, in the online market space, usually the dominant brand owns a huge portion of that. The example we just talked about, Chrome owns about 70% of the browsing space. Amazon I don't know, I'd, I'd estimate uh, maybe around 85 to 90% of online shopping spaces now owned by them. Wow. Yeah, because if, if you if you think about it, people are just naturally, when they want to buy a product online, they quickly go to Amazon to see if it's there. If it's not, then they try to find it elsewhere. That is so true. Except yeah. for green shoes. Never shop on Amazon for green shoes. Just, yeah. <laughs> but you're absolutely right, though. See, that's just what ends up happening. The mind, as far as the digital space is concerned, it gives you a lot more space than it would in the real world. It's, it's a very different thought process when it comes to the online world that you get a huge majority of a consumer's mindset when, when you find your position in, in their minds. Going back to how, how do they navigate this, this sort of uh, scenario, the question basically becomes how do we find the right target audience without really having those data sets that we talked about? The answer is, we go back to psychology, go back and try to predict how they would react to a particular message and what's the empty space in their mind that you can fulfill. So for example, here, I would, I would share um, a couple of uh, funny facts with you. And these are a lot of the psychology papers that come out. We actually read this all the time. The, there, there was a research that if you haven't tried sushi by the age 35, there's a 90% chance you're never going to try sushi for the rest of your life. Right. So if a sushi chain comes to me and says, I need to advertise, I'm definitely going to cap the age range at 35. Because if they haven't tried it, I don't want to risk it. Their advertising dollar goes to waste. Knowing, for example, uh, that you no longer can target people based on their political affiliation, there is a psychology paper, basically more of a, a consumer behavior research, that if you like meat and potatoes as your common meal, you're likely a Republican. <laughs> and if you like authentic, you know, type of food, you know, like uh, try different variations of food, you're more likely to be a Democrat. Right. So if somebody comes to me and says, I'm trying to target a Republican, knowing that I don't have a data set that go target Republicans, I would try to target someone who likes meat and potatoes and then I would <laughs> exclude the people who like, for example, Mexican food. The, the answer is how you, you measure consumer behavior through through basically looking at these uh, research papers and or, or even doing your own research. And use that as the basis of targeting consumer because though you may not have access to the data, the mind works on its own ways. And believe it or not, most people, as much as we want to say and believe we're very different from one another, the reality is we're very much alike. Right. As far as our consumer uh, behavior is concerned, uh, consumers behave very much so similar to one another. There's, there's a concept in neuromarketing called uh, social proof. Mm -hmm. um, it basically addresses the herd mentality of people that people just look at what other people are doing and just follow that. Imagine if you walk into a food court and then there are three restaurants, one of which has a line in front of it. The other two don't. By default, not even knowing what it is that they're selling or even if you like the food, you're thinking just because there's a line there that that restaurant's food must be better. Right. That's, that's the herd mentality. See, we, we tend to act and behave very much so similar to one another. So this, this is really what uh, entrepreneurs need to focus on at this stage in their businesses to see the messages that they have, the products they're developing, the solutions they're coming up with, or even if in their, the service industry, 
how, how would they be able to know the psychology of the user to target their ads properly? Otherwise, you're looking at uh, humongous amounts of uh, advertising dollars that's just going to go to waste because people are just going to see it and not pay attention to it. That's just brilliant, brilliant information. Going back to the food court and the three restaurants and one with the line in, uh, in, uh, in front of it. Yeah, um, this, is, this is how an attorney would think. I would go to the ones that don't have the line because time's money. <laughs> I don't want to be wasting time standing in the line, right? But you're absolutely right. Just brilliant information you just shared with us. You clearly are a master at your craft, Ali Reza. I have one question for you before we have to conclude this. How does a med student from Iran end up owning a digital marketing firm and quite a successful one at that? Uh, I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't know what happened. No, um, we're all glad that, that it happened. Because clearly, <laughs> clearly you're serving the business owners here. Right. But yes, um, it's interesting. No. Uh, so, so yeah, uh, just, just to share a little bit of a background about me, I um, migrated along with my family to the U S back in 2004, when I was 18 years old, I was uh, studying civil engineering actually in Iran when I came here, I, I realized um, I actually liked the field of medicine a lot more, so I decided to switch. During the process, when I was at UCSD, uh, what I realized about myself was it was a great uh, thing. I, I think I found out about myself that I really liked challenges. Generally speaking, I, I understood my business mentality more than you know what I would have had to be as a, as a medical student. So little by little, my mind basically got shifted and I kind of had that moment when I was practicing for MCAT, uh, the test that you have to take to go to med school. Um, I actually sort of developed a system in in really a short period of two and a half months that improved my own score significantly. And it was really based on the fact that I wrote down a lot of my own behaviors, like how am I doing this? How am I doing that? And I would simply go back and study behavior. I, as a kid, I was fascinated by psychology. Let me say like one of the first books I remember I started reading as soon as I could start reading was The Psychology of Colors, where I would lay out uh, a series of colors in front of people and say, hey, you know, lay them out in, in any, you know, format or uh, order that you like. And then I would read back the books like, what does this mean? What does this mean? Why did they have the color blue first? Why did they have green? This? It, 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 the, the psychology of things always fascinated me. And, and this is one of the things I've always used in my personal life and uh, extended that into, into business life. In, the, in my junior year at UCSD, I started basically working on a startup where the, the data that I had collected on my own behavior, I wanted to be able to collect that to help other students learn easier and be better test takers. So my mind completely got shifted at that point. I just finished UCSD. And when I came out of UCSD, my focus was on that startup. Truth to be told, uh, the development of that platform cost a lot more money than I thought. And I uh, I was doing a lot of tutoring at the time. Any money in, uh, that I had saved ended up kind of going to, to developing that platform. By the time it was done, I was out of money to market it in any way. I had a lot of time. I had no money. I kind of started asking questions, how can I use my time to market the business? And one of the areas that was growing, uh, and I learned it through a friend of mine at UCSD uh, that said, hey, you know, why why don't you try online advertising? So I started reading through a history of SEO, how Google platform works. I I think I spent around 700 hours reading through the entire history of how the platform is coming along and whatnot. I started applying that to my startup. So I started building traffic on it and it actually worked. Uh, surprising enough, uh, it, it worked and I was getting calls from all around the U.S. I had uh, clients from New Jersey, New York, and I was based in San Diego. 
That was, I think, the second moment of realization that I learned about the power of online advertising. And uh, there was one page on my website that had a really, really high national ranking. That page alone fed my business for two years. That was the revenue source that allowed me to sustain that business for two years. That's just one single page on that website. Uh, I ended up uh, having to dismantle the the startup that I had, uh, mostly because, uh, and this is like in one of the hard uh, hard lessons that I learned, half of startups fail because uh, there's not really a demand for the product they're developing. It never crossed my mind to say, was there a demand for basically what I was working for? The the reality was there was, people weren't willing to pay for it though. Mm -hmm. They they thought, hey, it's a cool platform, I'd love to have it. They weren't willing to pay for it. I was trying to uh, do a subscription model, it just just didn't work out. But uh, what ended up happening, uh, once I realized about this whole online marketing, that's when my second business started in 2013. I formed Golden Seller and that's how I got into this advertising space, uh, (laughs) doing online marketing with a huge focus on human behavior. Well, this is fantastic. Clearly you turned your passion into profits. Absolutely, right? (laughs) Passion to profits. I love that. Ali Reza, you have been absolutely wonderful. You've shared some incredible information. And I absolutely have to have you back on the show because I'm fascinated about the psychology. It never even occurred to me before until I started talking to you and you're sharing information with me. Because right now, anyone, if they want my attention... And that's my dog right there. All they have to say is, I have a dog. Oh, okay, I'll talk to you about it. Right? <laughs> well, there's a dog in the car. Oh, wait, let me say hello to the dog. <laughs> I have the same problem, Kelly. I have the exact same problem. Oh, yes, and, and, and my my dogs, um, you know, they're, they're uh, associates of the law firm, and uh, they're, they're always about. And so um, we we do this show collectively, and everyone that hears the show, they know. We have, we have associates. There she goes again. <laughs> no, that's, that's their vote of confidence. They're shaking their heads saying, yeah, they're not in her saying, yes, we, we like what we heard. Thank you. Thank exactly, you. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Perfect. That That's four paws up. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Thank you so much for sharing that valuable information. Absolutely. It's a pleasure. We are going to share your information as part of our show notes. And anyone around the world, by the way, we are in at least 26 and countries and growing. So anywhere, anyone around the world that listens to the show can reach out to you. And that's what we're here for. All of our fantastic guests, they have shared personal stories. They've shared valuable information on how an entrepreneur can start and grow and run their business. And this is the part of starting and growing the business, which is, you know, you're instrumental in that. So anyone can reach out to you through the show notes. And I know guaranteed that you'll be happy to hear from them, happy to help them. And you literally can help anyone around the world, anyone, anywhere, digital. Uh, absolutely. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm very much so fascinated by uh, the story of entrepreneurs, what they're trying to do. I do uh, dedicate quite a bit of my time on a weekly basis to, uh, you know, help entrepreneurs in any any capacity that I can. Yeah. Uh, there, there's nothing more that I'd love to see for them to succeed and to to grow. And uh, Kelly, it was a great conversation. Uh, thanks for having me on. And I do look forward to doing this soon again. Fantastic. And also, before I let you go, a fun fact about you. You are on the advisory board of Google's large advertisers. That's, so you really do stay involved. You don't just have a company that you just sort of keep keep uh, rotating the same services over and over again to different people. 
you truly are an inspiration to other entrepreneurs. Stay ahead of the game, dominating your market and, and know exactly what's going on out there. You totally ahead of the game. And so again, thank you, Ali Reza, for being a fantastic guest. And to our fantastic listeners, we are always here for you. Make sure you do go to golegalyourself.com. There is a lot of information there for you to start and grow your business. And definitely check out golegalyourselfpodcast.com. You can reach out to any of our incredible guests and they will be happy to hear from you. I am attorney Kelly Bagley, the queen of business law. It's been my pleasure being your host. Until next time, cheers to your success. If you're looking to start a podcast on your own, use the coupon code WHATHAS at checkout and receive a free month of media hosting from our recommended hosting company, Libsyn.com. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N.com. This podcast was produced by Imagine Podcasting, and we help businesses eliminate competition by elevating their brand message to be heard. Visit ImaginePodcasting.com for more information.